All right, thank you for joining the ESBC Podcast Network, where uh, every podcast is a business meeting where we have to have a purpose and an outcome. Sports betting, we've gotten 500% ROI, right? So we, we got five times more money than we started. That's the outcome, right? But the purpose, really for me, and then um, very for- fortunate, lucky, and good, we have, and it time flies, because I met... Dr. Gardner in 2012. Now we're sitting here, 2021, almost a decade later, how time flies. But uh, 100% authenticity, right? So we're not, we're always independent. That's how we met. It was a rigged city council in uh, Lake Forest, California, where they all voted the same. And we're like, why not be independent? Be independent thinkers. And uh, here we are. A decade later, and now we he's going to help me out pinching here on the horse racing true crime podcast. But along those lines of being independent and authentic and providing you information, you can't get anywhere else, right? That's one of the purposes of the podcast. Give you a true crime podcast, but with elements you cannot find anywhere else. And insight you can't get anywhere else. And uh, Dr. Garner is also a psychotherapist from the Ohio State University, but he's worked for the DEA, he's worked for the FBI, and then uh, the whole Lake Forest thing, I call it the Miracle in Lake Forest. He hasn't written that book, but maybe we'll get there, but he ends up being mayor and controlling the city council, being outfunded probably like 100 to 1 <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Garner. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. And uh, the series we're going to do that I'm really excited about, that we're going to give people information they can't get anywhere else, is we're going to profile, right? Uh, and the thing about, because we, uh, we had a recall, right? Where we recalled a uh, perverted city councilman who was corrupt on the take by the name of Andrew Hamilton. And the whole thing was they all voted as a group, all the canaries singing the same song. And Dr. Garner says, well, we're all adults here. Uh, why not have independence of thought, right? Uh, why, don't, why do you have to have this group mentality, right? That's not good for anyone. And we'll approach this series the same way. We'll, we'll profile, we'll research. And since there's so much bad journalism out there, we're going to have some journalism uh, techniques, uh, completeness, right? fundamentals of getting the story out there of the folks who are Trump voters and the people that participated in the Capitol riots and the insurrection. If you can talk to that, uh, Dr. Gardner, before we get into the true crime horse racing podcast. Well, you know, um, talking about the true crime or the city council or in, in so many of these things, Money, money talks and bullshit walks, as right. they say. So fundamentally, uh, whether it's controlling how people vote on a city council, because <clears throat> the people, <clears throat> the people who can control that, then can get the contracts and get the money. It's right. the same thing in horse racing and virtually business. Right. Etc. Whenever you see if there's a winner, you always want to follow the money. 
Right. And it doesn't matter if that's a winner in a horse race, a winner in an election, a winner in a contract to a city council. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time you follow the money, you get the answer that you're looking for. A hundred percent. And that was the theme of the last podcast was follow the money. So uh, in the first podcast, what we've been doing is we've been setting the stage, kind of give you all the casting characters and future stories for the uh, horse racing podcast. Uh, we talked about the Stronage family, $3 billion family, who not only do they own the tracks, they own the horses, they also own uh, the betting mechanism. They own uh, Express Bet, and that's the mechanism people use or the software people use when they uh, choose a horse, uh, the odds, and then the payout. <laughs> so that, they control all of those things. And, marketing. Exactly, exactly. Vertical integration to the hilt. Uh, but they're involved with George Soros in Hungary, uh, which part of the family is from. Uh, one of their daughters, Belinda Stronage. I don't know how she pulled it off, but she was dating Bill Clinton, and she gave money to the Bill Clinton Foundation, but Bill Clinton's married to Hillary. So I don't know how they worked all that out. <laughs> but she's a knockout. She's 50, and she took control over the family from the old dad. They had a big fight. And we, we profiled George Navarro and uh, Jason Service and Maximum Security that won the uh, 2019 uh, Kentucky Derby and I believe uh, 2020 Breeders' Cup. So Maximum Security is a $12,000 horse, became a $35 million horse. How does that happen, right? So we talked about in that podcast, uh, the true crime, and we, we detail the stupidity of George Navarro of even though he was paying off FBI agents here, he got in trouble when he pissed off the Saudi family that had befriended Jared Kirshner. So that was a mistake. He got himself in trouble. And what piqued uh, my interest was also that George Navarro wanted to be uh, and, and one of the themes of the podcast and one of the things that makes Dr. and I laugh, Dr. Garner and I laugh a lot, is that truth is always more bizarre and stranger than fiction. And there's this God-forsaken place in Florida called Marion County. And inside Marion County, you have Ocala. And you have two farms there, right? You have the Stronage farm, family farm of horses. And you have the Bad Boys Farm, the John Gotti, uh, Gambino farm, Family Horse Farm. And uh, George Navarro, right, the horse trainer who spiked the horses, and that leads us to the inside why so many horses are dying. Uh, he wanted to be tr uh, transferred from the federal prison in New York, where he was there with El Chapo, to... Marion County, Florida. Why would he want to do that, right? The Gambino family, the mafia. So the mafia is still to this day involved in horse racing, but they clean themselves up. Uh, they want to transition to legitimate business, but they pay off the board members. And who are the board members? Dr. Garner was one. And we had those two podcasts with Jim Desmond, uh, who's making $300,000 as a Delta pilot <laughs> and $300,000 on the board of commissioners for San Diego 
and we had independently wealthy uh, Carl DeMaio that when I said, what motivates you? He's, you know, what's gotten you to be so resilient? And he says, oh, it's because I'm independently wealthy and I have so much money, right? So <laughs> that, that, that was a great podcast. So we're bringing it full circle. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about Italy, which is the motherland, the source of uh, the Italian mob. And what they talk about a lot, oh, the home country, this, the home country, that. And then a lot of people have been spec, you know, skeptical of how uh, horse races are rigged. So next week, we're going to talk about Bob Baffert and his travails and what I've seen of horse races uh, in a way being rigged. But there's many, many layers that we'll get to. But this one's going to be more about Italy and uh, the horse races that were rigged in 2015. We'll get into that. But... Uh, Dr. Garner's from Queens. So you had a story about uh, one of your ex-girlfriends that dated a mobster back in New York. And if you could kind of, because you're a storyteller as well, podcasts are about storytelling. You could tell us a story about uh, Mr. Gallo, I believe, over there in, in New York City. Uh, you really want me to, to reach back in the old days, huh? Well, you know, it, more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> yeah. Did you... Uh... The name Joey Gallo familiar to you? Yes. Very famous gangster in uh, yes. New York City. His his family controlled the docks in uh, Brooklyn, and his brother, his younger brother Jimmy Gallo, used to date my ex-wife. Oh wow! And uh, she's my ex-wife now. She wasn't my wife when he was dating her. <laughs> and uh, she broke up with him uh, in order to date me. And uh, needless to say, he was not very happy about that. And uh, I came from, I was in Queens and I was also in a pretty rough neighborhood, but it wasn't as rough as, I mean, Jimmy Gallo's neighborhood and Jimmy Gallo, those guys were three steps above our neighborhood. Uh, but for about two months after she broke up with him. He used to come and cruise my neighborhood. And my neighborhood was a gang neighborhood too. And everybody in my neighborhood would get so excited because there was a celebrity. It was like a hero to them uh, that Jimmy Gallo was cruising our blocks. They thought he was there trying to recruit people for his gang. In fact, he was there trying to intimidate me and get me to... Uh, to stop dating his girlfriend, which I didn't do and we got married. And uh, anyway, I didn't get whacked. <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, before I start with those horse races in Italy, uh, on the file of Truth is Stranger to Fiction, and I have it on medium during the off season from football, I get real literary, literary start writing articles. One article I wrote, was about a mutual person we know who, was who is entertaining, was entertaining, Joseph Bush. And when we were uh, researching Joseph Bush, he was from Marion County. So this guy, Joseph Bush, is a prison guard in Michigan 
who gets busted for bringing drugs into the jail. And like every criminal from the Midwest, he goes to Florida, <laughs> Marion County, where George Navarro and the Bad Boy Farms are from, uh, from uh, Ocala, Florida, that run races, that run in the Tampa Bay Downs, down here in Del Mar, and into the Kentucky Derby. Joseph Bush was from there, and Joseph Bush uh, turned into a political consultant, right? <laughs> that kind of fits into the whole narrative of the horse racing and how do they get away with spiking the horses and how do they get away with all this vertical integration and uh, transfer of money, right? It's controlling these people on this board because they have people like uh, Joseph Bush, <laughs> characters like that. Right, operating within those uh, within those parameters. What has been your experience dealing with those shady board members? Well, the you know the political arena works very much like the criminal uh, criminal conspiracies in the same way. Large amounts of monies for elections. Uh, elections, even small elections in California, and it costs millions of dollars, millions right. of dollars to get somebody elected to a city council seat uh, of any sizable uh, city, city like Irvine, 250,000 people, five to $10 million will cross hands uh, in order to, uh, in order for somebody to get elected. When we did a, I did a survey one time Lake Forest, which is a small city. Right. And over a period of 20 years, the person who spent the most money, and this was true from 1979 to 2014, every single year, the person who spent the most money came in first. The person who spent the second <laughs> most money came in second. And the person who spent the third most money came in third. That was true for whatever that was, 20 years in a row, inevitably. And that's still true today. It almost never happens. Uh, Huffington is probably one of the only examples I can think of where somebody who outspent an opponent uh, didn't win a race. Most of the people in um, city councils or even uh, representatives or senators, or none of those people have a lot of money. So they're dependent on getting money from somewhere else. And normally those are the slush funds that come out of the parties. Uh, in Orange County, it's mostly the Republican party. Uh, and uh, they have two major sources of money. Uh, the major source are from the big companies. Right. Uh, here it's mostly developers, but it's also police, interestingly enough. Right. The police provide millions of dollars a year. Uh, the developers, tens of millions of dollars a year in order to get people elected. And in each of those cases, I mean, we would call it bribery. The only reason it's not called bribery is because politicians wrote a law because they commit the bribery that exempts what they do from bribery. If anybody else did what they do, you'd be arrested for bribery, but you can't be because uh, the legislators write a law that says that's not bribery. What basically happens is the developers 
we'll give you $100,000, $50,000. The police similarly give you $50,000, $100,000 for your campaign. Uh, they'll call you in if they don't know you already, if you're just running and say, well, this is what we're gonna do and this is the project. How are you gonna vote on that? That's literally what they ask you. And if you say yes, then you get the money. If you say no, or you say, <laughs> I don't know, I'll have to see the project, then you don't get the money. I mean, it's as simple as that. And uh, literally millions of dollars. And what's so funny, of course, is that the police act this way. Right. It's the police, exactly. and it's the legislators, and they are as corrupt as uh, the criminals. There's really no difference between the, uh, the criminals and the uh, police or the politicians in regard to how they move money around in order to get what they want. About the only difference is with the police and the politicians, at least until recently, is that uh, they weren't killing you. Whereas the criminals always had the option and if you still got on their nerves, they could kill you. Right. Uh, so politicians and police haven't gone that far, but everything else up until that point is, is literally the same. Uh, and criminals, generally speaking, I, I worked a lot with criminals on, in prisons and as patients and right. uh, outpatient settings and with the police. I worked a lot with the police. Uh, criminals also don't like to kill you because that's a, a last option for criminals. So both the police, the politicians and the criminals uh, avoid killing you, but the criminals will take that last step. Uh, prior to Trump, <laughs> right. uh, you know, and the capital insurrection uh, causing harm to people was something that politicians generally didn't do. On the other hand, politicians were not above making war and killing thousands and tens of thousands of people in order to get gold, oil, whatever it was, uh, shipping routes, uh, access to uh, strategic metals. So, you know, in many respects, they don't particularly order uh, killing or death the same way criminals do, but they indirectly probably ultimately cause more deaths and destructions than criminals do. Right. And uh, we, we've gotten into profiling criminals. And I think you agree. Uh, just because a guy's a criminal doesn't mean he's a bad guy. And just because a guy's not a criminal doesn't mean he's a good guy. <laughs> you know, we get your pious guys like uh, Dwight Robinson who used to be in there. Sunday school teacher, but you couldn't trust him as far as you could throw him. But he had this persona of being like a, a church guy when he... And, you know, indeed, in fact, and when you moved into things, because he's a member of the community, you see him at the grocery store, you, see, you know, he's making decisions and he's on the take, really. Uh, oh, yeah. Most people. Uh, it's really interesting. I I did a study a few months ago after the election and uh, looked at the people who voted for Trump versus the people who voted for Biden. And uh, in that study, the, it was. And I looked at 50 different variables. And one of them was religiosity, religiosity being the extent to which people tell you 
that they believe in God, they go to church, they live a holy life. Right. And needless to say, the people who voted for Trump, and the more they voted for Trump, the higher they were on religiosity. And, oh, well, isn't that interesting? Yeah, what's more interesting is the higher they are in religiosity and likelihood of voting for Trump, the more likely they are to come from divorced families, the right. more likely they are to commit child abuse, the more likely their children are to die from maltreatment, the more likely they are to commit rape, the more likely they are to be convicted of incest, the right. more likely they are to, and you go down a whole list of ungodly like behaviors, but the people who tell you how religious and how close to God they are, are far more likely to be the people who are doing the kinds of things you imagine God wouldn't uh, want you to do. So, you know, spare me your holiness and uh, how religious you are. Uh, whenever anybody's telling you how religious you are, you know, that's some kind of a counterphobic reaction, what they're trying to do. And the reason they're probably trying to be so religious is because they are so evil and they are so decadent in their behaviors that they're forced to confront religion and religiosity. On the other hand, criminals, I come from a, uh, I was born in a, a lower middle class a tenement New York City crime neighborhood. Uh, most of the kids I grew up with were gang members. Right. In my neighborhood of the 20 kids I grew up with, there's only three kids who left that neighborhood. One of them became a cop, one of them is me, and the other kid became a social worker. The other 17 kids I grew up with either died, went on drugs, or went in prison. And uh, the reason for that is you grew up in a life in which uh, that was just normal life. It wasn't, you weren't doing, you know, crime was a part of your normal life. It, it wasn't a question of being good or being bad. It's just what you did. Uh, you joined a gang, you had fights, you committed robberies, you did uh, all kinds of uh, things. I mean, the older you got, the more serious the crimes. At my age, when I was involved in that, we didn't do anything serious. Uh, but as you got older, you did more and more serious things, not because you were bad or because you were evil, but that's the way you grew up. And that's, you just did the normal kinds of things uh, that the other kids in your neighborhoods did. If you ever saw a film like uh, A Bronx Tale or Mean right. Streets, they show you that that's, that's just life in, the, in a big city. And uh, most of those people, they never get the chance to get out of that. But it, right. it doesn't mean that uh, they're necessarily bad people. Uh, just like the guy who's going to church, that doesn't mean he's a good person. Right. So did you go to the track in New York at all? Yeah, actually, my dad was a was a a great uh, track guy, and he looked he viewed going to the track as the way I view going to the ATM. <laughs> he never lost. Right. Sometimes he broke even, but he never lost. And he would go, he would go. Uh, well, in New York, he went to Yonkers. And he went to Aqueduct. And one of those he could go in the morning, and the other one he could take a bus in the afternoon. <laughs> so he could spend the whole day uh, racing. And when I got old enough, and my brother 
introduced my brother and uh, me to horse racing. And uh, yeah, we. Uh, and and it, was a, it was a way because we had a, a great podcast that I encourage everybody to listen to. And we'll put a link to it with Tim Conway Jr. from KFI, right? Dad was on the Carol Burnett trail, right? Tim Conway. And he talked about uh, that he learned math how to do math, not in school, but at the horse track with his dad. And it was a way to be a bond with his dad. Were, were you able to bond, you and your brother, be able to bond a little bit with your dad at the horse oh, track? Yeah, a lot of it, you know, analyzing the race the uh, that used to be on paper, I guess it's not on paper anymore. But right. you had to go through it and all the information. And my, my dad would uh, go through all those things and teach us. Strangely enough, my mother, she only, <laughs> she liked names she would put her money on a horse whose name she liked. And my dad would go through all this math and, uh, you know, right. Uh, probability <laughs> is this, and we'll put our money this way and that way in order to maximize it. And my mom would just vote on a name she liked. And uh, as many times as my dad would win based on his math, my mom would win based on the name. It was just <laughs> so funny to see that happen. But they were both good. They both, uh, he was a lot more fond of it than she was. But right. uh, yeah, we went to the tracks. Then when right. we came to California, went to the tracks here in California too. Right. And what we'll do here is I will extrapolate what's going on with what I know. And I'm still, you know, I'm learning a lot. It's been a lot of fun uh, learning the horse racing industry in the U.S. and then extrapolating it to this article's uh, that I found when I wanted to see published articles about uh, rigged races. And I kind of noticed it, how they rig it here. Like you'll have uh, about Baffert had three horses in a race. And heck, one of Bob, Bob Baffert's horses wins. And you can see one of Bob Babs, Baffert's horse blocking another horse and his going straight through. Uh, in this article, you have, first I'll paint a picture quickly of what we've been talking about, what's going on with, the American horse racing industry, where you have a lot of these horses that you really have to suspect is the George Navarro's of the world spiking them. That's why you have a heightened death rate in horses. And you have the Wall Street bets type of uh, investment and uh, spread in buying a maximum security for 12000 making it until a $35 million horse. Now I'll read from an article from The Guardian, even though there's been a lot of articles and really this investigation and different uh, rigging of races by the Italian mafia. A lot of these articles started in 2011. This is actually came out uh, Christmas Day 2017. And it says horse racing has been suspended at Palermo racetrack after Italian police investigating mafia activity discovered illegal gambling and, if, and evidence of the Costa Nostra bosses rigging races. Now we talked about the Stronich family. They own XBET, they own the horses, and they own the racetracks. <laughs> Do they have the type of influence that the mafia bosses have, right? Uh, on track racing. Uh, and you have the dichotomy. And I'll ask you this question, especially as a psychotherapist, if you can kind of mitigate this, because you have, uh, I believe that the horse trainers, the horse owners, even Pitta or Pita, that's probably in a, on the take two, 
for allowing this racist not creating more of a stink. They all love the horses on some level, even though they're doing horrible damage to them. And there's a part here where it says where uh, there were jockeys, you know, under the force of death who did not bow down to the demands of the boss who had ordered them to lose. And, you know, they got beat up by uh, mafia members. So you do have people in the American horse races industry who don't want to spike the horses. And on some level, they love the horses, but they're giving them drugs uh, that they're dying at a high rate. How do you explain that, like in society? That, that fight, right, between the love of the horses and the fact that they're still spiking them and they're dying at a high rate. Yeah, you know, it, from a psychological point of view, we call that cognitive dissonance. People can hold two contrary beliefs uh, at the same time and they compartmentalize uh, because they, they can't endure the anxiety which will result by bringing those two things together. It, it's an, in a not uh, dissimilar manner. You know, there's a thing called the Iditarod. Right. It's, it's in Alaska and they, it, it's a terrible torture thing that they put dogs through. And the people who do that, they're dog owners. These are their dogs. And you would think, how could you love a dog? Right. And put them in, those dogs die on the Iditarod. It's, it's just a terrible, a terrible thing. And you know, the people who do that, oh, it's the itinerant, oh, it's the tradition, oh, it's this, and that's one series of thoughts that are over there, and over here, separately from that, oh, dogs are dying, or, you know, in this case, horses, the horses are dying, uh, and the reason people do that, whether it's the itinerant, or whether it's the uh, horse racing, or whether it's life, right, you know, the politicians who do all this corrupt, terrible shit, uh, right, you know, they do. On the one hand, they know this is wrong. The people, all the, the stuff that's coming out, all the stop the steal and all this crazy stuff right. uh, that's coming out, people are saying that they know it's crazy. As a matter of fact, there was a, it's a slight tangent, but it's, right. it's, it's on topic. You know, that, that lawyer, Trump's lawyer, who got up in December and uh, as part of the stop the steal, Right. This woman gets up there and says uh, the Venezuela government is involved in uh, the machines and the software developer has changed the software so it doesn't count. It's crazy stuff. And then Giuliani got up there. That's the same day that his his hair, it was black, the black stuff, whatever he, the black cloud came out of his hair while he was talking. Well, anyway, the... Uh, the manufacturer of the machine and the guy who does the software sued her for a billion dollars and Giuliani as well and a whole bunch of other people because they slandered them. So the woman, and this has just happened maybe two weeks ago, in her defense, she says, well, no reasonable person would have believed me. Was I was saying such crazy things. No reasonable person would believe me. Therefore, these companies could not have been damaged because nobody would believe what I was saying. That's a, a current events example of that kind of cognitive dissonance. She's getting paid by Trump, so she's going to do whatever it is that he wants her to do, knowing on the one hand, 
knowing full well, on the other hand, the other side of her brain, that what she's doing is wrong, even knowing it's ridiculous, even knowing at some point she's going to have to pay for that, which right. she's starting to do now. I think it's the same thing with the trainers of the horses or the same thing of the dogs. They compartmentalize these feelings. Again, we call it cognitive dissonance. And they're able to say, on the one hand, I love the horse. On the other hand, I got to make a living and therefore right. I'm going to give him whatever I have to do. Uh, he's a little bit lame. I'm going to run him because I have, I have to do what I have to do to survive. And I'm not going to simultaneously say, but how can I do that if I love the horse? So they won't do that. They'll just do that in two separate, yeah, I love horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, now forget I love horses. Now this is my living. I'm going to do what I have to do. That's how a criminal can, that's how a murderer can right. do uh, the same way. That's his job. That's what he's got to do. It's nothing personal. I'm sure uh, if you got the horse trainer to admit it, you'd get the same thing. Yeah, I knew it was wrong, but that was my job. What did the horse right. expect anyway? Right. And, and we've seen it up close, right? With mutual people we know. Sometimes they tell you things off the record. And I agree, this has been an awesome podcast. We're giving people information they can't get anywhere else. We're giving them insight to true crime and the people. And in closing, I'm going to go through two paragraphs and something that you can speak to, Dr. Gardner. And it is a dichotomy because uh, I've known him. I have a really good friend of mine, Bill Logan, assistant chief of police in Tampa. He's a great cop. And we told, and we told the story, though, of when he was working in Largo, Florida, and it was a police department, probably still to this day, run by the mafia. So my buddy comes up on a car that has $500,000 in cash. <laughs> and my uh, friend, being the straight lace that he is, calls the sergeant. Right? And the sergeant says, put as much money as you can in your uniform. And we'll report the rest. And the kicker to the story was that when my buddy went to jail, the African-American guy who they arrested, who had the car and was drug dealing, the judge goes, sir... We found $150,000 in your car. He's like, what? There was $500,000 in <laughs> So he's like, oh, you're guilty. And so you have the Stronich family dynasty. There was George Soros, Clinton Foundation, the ladies and MP in Canada, right? She owns the way you can bet on the horse. She owns the track. She owns the horses. I'm saying that she's analysis to this paragraph I'll read to you. We'll read two paragraphs and then we'll close. This paragraph would be both along the same line. The Sicilian and Neapolitanian and Calabrian mafias have had their hands on management of illegal bets for decades. And this, unfortunately, does not only happen in races within the official racetrack. Now, that really shouldn't happen in official races. There's enough money to go on the up and up, but it hasn't for years, right? It's entrenched in the culture. And, and mind you, 40% of the horses in Lexington, Kentucky are owned by the Queen of England. So the, the corruption goes all the way to the highest levels, but also that those mobsters organize daily on the asphalt. So your thoughts on that, on, on the, because you have guys like Bill Logan who are great cops, but at the same time, uh, here in Orange County, my defense attorney said, hey, there's a lot of Nazi criminal gangs inside of the Orange County Sheriff's Department. 
how do drugs get into jail, right? We know Joseph Bush, <laughs> the sheriffs bring the gun, the, the thing into jail. But at the same time, the dichotomy is, uh, and we do a great job here of, of explaining you things that took me a while to, to kind of grasp, but now I'm doing better before things change. Uh, 90% of cops are great. They're awesome people and they keep us safe, but at the same time, uh, they're involved in burglary rings, drug rings. So you have the Stronich family. You have the story we're reading in Italy. I'm saying that the story I'm reading about in Italy is analogous to what's going on in the racetracks here. Santa Anita, Los Alamitos, Del Mar. What's your opinion on that, Dr. Byrne? Yeah, you know, it's not, um, it's not always, um, I'm retreating from what I said earlier uh, about following the money. It's not always the money, the, the corruption in, um, in Italy, in the Siena, for example, there right. it's more focused on prestige. I know right. money changes hands, but sometimes it's prestige. And again, the Queen of England, she's got uh, plenty of money, but a lot of it's prestige. So it's not only money. Money isn't the sole motivator, uh, but it, it's also prestige. But you, when you were talking before, you reminded me, my dad was a waiter in New York City in Manhattan at a prestigious uh, restaurant. And a lot of celebrities used to go there, including celebrity jockeys. Got it. And about, it didn't happen often, but about, a couple of times a year, when we go to the track, he'd say, we're going to make a lot of money today. <laughs> I'd say, you know, well, you always do well. And he'd say, now, today we got a good one. <laughs> I'd say, what? He'd say, you just watch. And, uh, you know, and then he, would, he normally bet in those days, if he bet 10 or $20, that was a lot of money in those days. Right. And then suddenly he'd come up with like a 40 or a $50 bet. And he'd say, now you watch this one. Inevitably, <laughs> that one, you know, he'd know one of the jockeys right. had come in and said, you know, tomorrow you got to go to the track and you got to win. Always won on those days. So, uh, and, and, yeah. I mean, no, 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 that's fascinating. And something before we get to this last paragraph in closing. Something you triggered because once people have money, right, you turn to power. And one thing you mentioned was prestige. And in uh, in Canada, there aren't very many murders, right? Much less murders of billionaire people, and much less murders in the Stronish neighborhood, right? And these two billionaires end up in an attic in the Stronish neighborhood in Canada, right? And you see all these horses dying with pharmaceuticals. These billionaires, and there's a lot of rumors, right? These billionaires own pharmaceutical conglomerates. So uh, for a murder and true crime, you have to have uh, motive. You have to have opportunity, right? Uh, you have to have means. So one of the possible motives we were thinking of the Stronage family uh, to kill these billionaires, right? And remember, 
uh, they're getting advice from the Clinton people. <laughs> we were talking about the, the uh, you know, from Vince Foster. Uh, and one thing about the Mueller report that people aren't, and I'm one of those poor fools that read the whole Mueller report. And one of the things that hit me that hasn't been in major media is that the three people in the Mueller report, actually four, out of the four people in the Mueller report that were paid by the Trump campaign and other people around Trump to look into Hillary's e email all ended up dead, right? From Seth Rich to so, some other fools. And then the, the father and son, the dad ended up dead mysteriously. And the son ended up in jail in Chicago, the city where Hillary took the $1,000 cow and sold it uh, for 100,000 in the American, uh, mercantile exchange. So these people are friends with the Stronich family and these billionaires and what the pharmaceutical conglomerate industry uh, end up dead. And part of the motive is kind of obvious, right? They were maybe supplying them with, uh, you know, orchestrated delivery system for these horses, the Stronich horses <laughs> to win races and entertain uh, in their $3 billion empire. But another motive, right, because part of uh, as we go forward with uh, true crime horse racing is detailing dynasties, right, and, and dynamics of dynasties and how most dynasties, 90% of dynasties don't last past the third generation. Uh, we have that motive, but the other motive that maybe you can speak to is uh, if these billionaires had outed the Stronach family, the Stronach family loses a lot of prestige, right? It loses a lot of credibility trying to regulate elections in Hungary and, uh, you know, part of the political structure in Canada as well. Plus, they have six racetracks here. They own, here in Southern California, they own Santa Anita and they're invested in Del Mar. And they have two horse farms here in California, two in the Northeast and two in Florida. So prestige is part of the motives and dynasties why they commit murders. Yeah, they're very, they're linked. Obviously, money gives you the means in order to get the prestige and then, but prestige gives you the opportunity to get more money. So they're not unrelated to each other, but sometimes right. they are different and, you know. Yeah, so that kind of kind of fills it up, kind of checks one of the boxes for the why. So we're going to close with this one. Uh, injured champions were also used for breeding, right? Which is huge here in the United States. Prosecutor of Syracuse, Paolo Girondano, has led several investigations into illegal horse races in Sicily. And he says, quotes, the semen of illegal racing horsing champions containing coveted DNA is sold for staggering prices, right? So that's why maximum security is a $12,000 horse wins those races, spiked now uh, sold for $35 million. Police in Naples in the 1990s, 1990s. So this has been for a while. It's been undetected. And I believe that similar behavior is done in the US, but the FBI hasn't done it because why the FBI agents are getting paid. So since the 1990s has sealed illegal horse track with more than 40 horses from the Canamora, Boss, uh, Lernsboro, Neluta, right? Uh, and to the billionaires who ended up in an attic in Canada, the boss had built artificial insemination laboratories for breeding specimens, then sold illegally. 
right? Uh, so it's a whole distribution billion dollar operations for what you described earlier, right? It kind of makes sense how they can get away with all of this. Well, and it's great how, you know, we, had, we hadn't scripted it, but it, it kind of worked. <laughs> how you kind of laid the foundation for exactly kind of makes sense how the whole industry really works. Worldwide industry. Well, yeah, but it's, and it's not just horse racing in so much of the world. Right. Or really, uh, what, what you dealt with was the um, corruption as far as the building industry and the real estate industry and, you know, uh, kind of the manipulation of city codes, right? City codes, ordinances to kind of fit uh, the collusion, right? Or the cartel type activity at the time. Yeah, you see that in... Uh... In just about everything, it, it's it different. It takes on different shapes and different forms. You see that in academia. You see that in the police. You see that in all those things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll close with that. And then uh, Dr. Gardner and I will come back on Monday and <laughs> we'll translate a lot of this into uh, something that's been a mystery for me. And I'll I'll like, give you last words been a mystery for me really since 2016 uh piecing together who are the trump voters and then to take it a step further who were the people of the insurrection right and it's a lot more diverse than what i thought and there's a lot more layers to it than what i thought uh i think laura trump right laura trump reminds me of these people i've been reading about in the horse racing industry in sicily uh, your Laura Trumps of the world and um, Trump Jr.'s girlfriend who had a kid with Gavin Newsom of all people. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? And that and that's one of the themes of all the podcasts and, and the, the ones we're going to do with Dr. Gardner. Truth is always more bizarre, even more entertaining than uh, fic fiction. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll see that next week. Uh, truth is stranger than fiction that just it's hard to believe I've been delving into this stuff for the last six months, and it's just uh, incredible. Just uh, funny yes. on the one hand, but tragic on the other hand. Oh, absolutely. Uh, forgot who I was uh, talking to about humor and uh, it really tragic events, but linked to humor, and they couldn't, they couldn't kind of extrapolate it and put it together. And me as a British lit major in my first degree, I take things back to Shakespeare, right? That all, all, all humor comes from tragedy, tragic events. And, uh, but especially in this pandemic year, I close every podcast with the words of Winston Churchill. And uh, something that uh, Dr. Garner believes we all believe in is, and it's really true at the end of the day. Uh, to get away from all these greed and getting to the point where you want prestige and greed and money, then you end up killing people. <laughs> well, what you stay away from that is the words of Sir Winston Churchill that got us through the last major, uh, major tragic event, right, in Western history. He said, uh, you make a living from your labor, 
but you make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the ESBC growing. All of our two years, all of our reviews are five stars. So we're very happy for that. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Podcast Network. That's why this one goes cost $800 and that goes $200. And I don't know what that cost. I'm just shaking the word. That's why I wear those shoes and I roll my butt and I get a limousine sometimes.